0: Convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash gold. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. The Peter Shift Show. On Wednesday, the price of gold closed above $1,550 an ounce for the first time in this move. That's over six years since we've been at that level in the price of gold. Silver had another big move. It closed above $19.50, uh, getting close to $20. But then yesterday began so far a two-day correction in the price of both gold and silver. Gold dropping about thirty-five dollars an ounce yesterday. I think down another twelve bucks today, but holding the fifteen-hundred level. We closed the day and the week at fifteen oh six fifty, I believe. Silver, which was down oh, about ninety cents or something uh, yesterday, dropped another. 46 cents today, all the way back down to 18.18, but still above the $18 level. So I think we're holding at some pretty good support. In fact, we had a lot of volatility today in the price of silver. Silver was down about 50 cents early in the morning before we got the non-farm payroll report, which I will get to later in the podcast. And then silver rallied back to positive after that report. It was up about 10, 15 cents until we got some words from Jerome Powell which caused the price of gold and silver to roll over again and close near the lows of the day. Although what Powell said shouldn't really have been news at all. Basically Jerome Powell speaking in Zurich, Switzerland, said that the Fed does not expect, nor does it forecast a recession. That it thinks the U.S. economy is in good shape And that, you know, maybe it's slowing down a bit, but the Fed is not worried. Uh, They think the problems are contained or the problems, you know, related to trade are contained. Although I think it's very interesting that they would use that word because the last time a Fed chairman said a problem was contained, uh, that was Ben Bernanke in reference to the subprime mortgage problem. That, too, was supposedly contained. Well, yes, uh, it was contained to the planet Earth, I guess. uh, But the Markets uh, and the economy ended up uh, imploding. The catalyst was a subprime, or that was the the tip of an iceberg that Bernanke did not recognize at the time. So maybe Powell is as correct today as Bernanke was then. Maybe these problems are contained just the way the subprime markets were contained. But you know, after Powell spoke optimistically about the economy, well, gold and silver sold off. Because if Powell is optimistic, well, maybe the Fed isn't going to have to cut rates as much as people think. Well, Powell is optimistic because that's his job, right? He is the Fed chairman, which means he's basically the bullshitter in chief, although that job now really – Uh, belongs to uh, Donald Trump and maybe uh, Larry Kudlow. And I'll talk about that a little later. Uh, But the Fed is basically an economic cheerleader. It doesn't matter what the Fed thinks. Even if the Fed expects a recession, the last thing it's going to do is admit that. And it's never going to forecast one. I mean, it didn't forecast the 2008 recession. And that was the worst recession since the Great Depression. So why anybody cares? I mean, I don't understand how... Powell's comments can even move markets when it comes to what the Fed thinks is going to happen to the economy, because either the Fed is always lying or they're completely incompetent. But either way, it doesn't make any sense uh, to put any stock into what they say, except you probably have all these computer algorithms. uh, You know, they push these buttons and they react uh, to certain things. So if Powell says something optimistic about the economy, well, you sell gold, right? That's what you do. I'm surprised that the stock market didn't really sell off on those comments. Uh, But it was just really the gold and silver market uh, that seemed to react immediately. Although I think the dollar did catch a bit of a bid uh, as a result of of those comments. But again, Powell is always going to talk positively about the economy, no matter how worried he is uh, privately, because the last thing the Fed wants to do is start the crisis by letting people know that they're worried and then they're their worries will cause uh, businesses or consumers to alter their behavior to prepare for the recession that the Fed is worried about. And now the recession happens. The The recession actually is a consequence of people preparing for the recession. So Powell doesn't want anybody to prepare for it, which means it will be worse because now it's going to catch everybody by surprise. But I want to get back to the catalyst for the big sell-off in the price of gold and silver yesterday. And of course, you know, as I've been saying on this podcast, a correction is always expected. Nothing goes straight up. Right. Not gold, not silver. There's always going to be corrections in a bull market. And generally they're sharp. I mean, this correction happening very quickly, very sharply is what you would expect. Right. You have a bull market climbing a wall of worry. Maybe we got some people jumping on the gold and silver bandwagon on Monday or Tuesday uh, you know, Johnny Come Latelys—people uh, who just want to get a free ride—they uh, see the market moving, they jump on, and now they get—they get, they get their—you uh, know—their hand slapped. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a sharp movement. Some of these guys get stopped out. Right? They're there trying to make a quick buck. They're jumping on a moving train, and then they fall off. So this is what happens a lot uh, during bull markets. But In the scheme of things, I still think very few people are involved. I don't see any real pickup in interest, certainly in uh, retail interest, rather, in physical precious metals, at least not in the United States. Uh, so this really bull market is happening in a lot of obscurity. Uh, there's not a lot of fanfare going on. Not yet. That's coming, but that's just going to come later in the bull market. I think the public is not really going to get involved in a big way. I don't think Wall Street is going to get interested in a big way until we make new highs. And that's, you know, 1900 or so in the price of gold. And I don't know, maybe we have to get over $50 in the price of silver before people start believing In this bull market. But in the meantime. It's going to climb a wall of worry. There are going to be corrections. And I think they are buying opportunities. And this recent uh, setback. I think is just another one of them. But what was the catalyst. For the move yesterday. Before the market opened. There was a headline that came out. That the Chinese. Had agreed. To resume trade talks. uh, With the United States. Sometime in October right? Okay, we're going to resume the talks. And that headline and none was enough, right? The gold market got clobbered. The silver market got clobbered. Uh, the bond market got clobbered. It was one of the biggest down days I've seen in bonds. So upward move in interest rates. Uh, the yen went down, the Swiss franc went down. So in other words, everybody sold their safe havens, right? Everybody got out of the 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 risk-off safe haven trades, and they piled into risk assets. The Dow was up 400 points, right? Stocks were up across the board. Oil was up about 2 dollars 5 a barrel. Everybody got excited about the fact that the talks were going to resume. I mean, who cares? Big deal. I mean, does anybody really believe that the talks are going to lead to anything substantive? I don't think so. I mean, they've been talking for years. Has anything come of it? No, just more tariffs, more rhetoric. I mean, I don't see any reason to believe that anybody is going to cave on their position uh, if they resume talks in October. So the market just rose on a headline. There is nothing behind it. As a matter of fact, you know, I think politically, if I were Trump, right, politically, it is advantageous to the President to continue the trade war. I don't see any upside at this point to ending the trade war. And you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, that's the president's ace up his sleeve, right? If the economy ever really tanks, all he has to do is end the trade war and we're going to have a boom. See, I don't think it's that simple. I think that this economy is headed for recession, and I'm going to get into more about that when I talk about the jobs numbers later in this podcast. But I think the economy is headed into recession regardless of the trade war. I don't think a truce with China, I don't think a trade deal is going to avert the coming recession. And if we're going to go into recession anyway, then we might as well have the trade war as another scapegoat. I mean, Donald Trump has one scapegoat, meaning the Fed, right? And he continues to uh, you know, lambast the Fed and Jerome Powell uh, claiming that the Fed is, uh, you know, uh, too tight, that they raised interest rates too much, that they didn't cut them fast enough, that they shouldn't have done a quantitative tightening. You know, one of the tweets that 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 Trump put out, even the, just this morning, before the jobs numbers come out, Trump is like, Powell is, a, you know, he's doing everything wrong. Uh, where did I find this guy? Right. He's like, how did I, where did I find Powell? I mean, I guess you can't win everything. Right. And like. Why, do, why did I nominate him? The, the president is, you know, doesn't understand why he would have nominated a guy like Powell. Well, the reason that he chose Powell, a lot of people seem to forget this, and it wasn't that long ago, but Trump was very, very critical of Janet Yellen when he was a candidate. Right? And the reason he was critical of Yellen was because he said that she was doing political things. She was keeping interest rates artificially low. She was not raising rates when they should. They were keeping them down at zero. They did all this quantitative easing simply to make Obama look good, to prop up the stock market while Obama was president, to prop up the economy while Obama was president. And they were sacrificing the long term economic health of the economy for short-term political expediency uh, on the part of Barack Obama. And so Trump was very critical of Yellen and the part that she played in, in this process. And so as soon as he becomes president, he now needs to uh, you know, appoint somebody who won't do that. That was the whole purpose. Hey, let me let me find an independent guy who's not just going to be politics, who's going to make uh, you know decisions that are good for the country, right? He's not going to be a political hack like uh, Janet Yellen was or Ben Bernanke. So maybe Jerome Powell believed that. Maybe when you know Trump was saying all this stuff. Powell's like, oh, okay, yeah, he wants an independent guy. He doesn't want another hack. He doesn't want another yes-man or a flunky. And so Powell gets in there, and he does exactly what he thinks Trump wants, and now Trump bites his head off. Because what Trump is so upset about is that Jerome Powell is not doing for him exactly what Yellen did for Obama, yet he criticized what Yellen did for Obama. He criticized the Fed Uh, for trying to help Obama, but now he's criticizing the Fed for not trying to help him. So if he wants to remember why he appointed Powell in the first place, it was because he was still trying to maintain that image, right? And maybe Powell went along with it. Okay, yeah, that's what he wants. But of course, that wasn't what he wanted. Trump was just looking for ways to criticize and poke holes in the Obama economy, which a lot of people believed was actually a good economy, and Trump correctly criticized it as a big, fat, ugly bubble. The problem is the bubble is bigger, fatter, and uglier now, and what Trump wants to do is make sure that Powell keeps that big, fat, ugly bubble getting bigger and fatter and uglier and not popping before the next election. But getting back to my point, though, about why Trump doesn't want to end this uh, trade war, apart from blaming Powell for the recession. And if there is a recession, I believe there will be. Trump is going to say it's the Fed's fault. right? But he has another scapegoat, and that is the trade war. Now, of course, the trade war is a problem of his own making. But you can look at the rhetoric that's coming out now, and it's not just Trump. It's pretty much all of the Republicans are kind of marching lockstep uh, to this narrative. But it's that somebody had to take on China, that all of the past presidents didn't have the guts to do what Trump is doing and that China needs to be, uh, you know, brought back into line now, that if we wait too much longer and China gets to be even bigger and more powerful, that it may be too late. And so Trump is the only president with the guts to do what's right for the country and try to take on China. And that because we had this strong economy, we had the resources, we were able from a position of strength to take on China. And even if waging this war, temporarily results in a mild recession. And I'm sure they're going to claim the recession is going to be mild, even though it won't be. But maybe it will still look mild, depending on when it starts. It may still look mild before the uh, the election. And so Trump will say, look, this recession was necessary. It's just some short-term pain for some long-term gain. And by the way, as soon as you re-elect me, right, then we'll have a deal because the Chinese are just drawing this out, hoping that I lose so they can have, you know, they can walk all over Sleepy Joe, right? And so, but as soon as I win the election, then we're going to have a trade deal almost the next day, right? Just like, you know, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. We'll have a trade deal right away. And then the economy is going to boom. Right. And he can also say, you know, if the stock market is down, look, the stock market is down because of the trade war. But if it wasn't for the trade war, it'd be 10,000, 20,000 points higher. But don't worry, we're going to get all those points as soon as we end the war. So politically, it makes sense to keep the war going on because, you know, you're likely to reelect a wartime president. Right. You have this is out of patriotism. We have to keep this war going. This is for political reasons or national security. Uh, You know, the United States has to fight this war. And even if it means a short term, shallow recession, it's a price that we have to pay. But if he if he ends the trade war now and, of course, if he ends it with a deal that's not that advantageous, which, of course, is the only kind of deal that I think he can get from the Chinese, then he's gonna, that's a loser politically. But then if we end the trade war and then we're still in recession, well, then he, you know, he can't blame it on the trade war anymore. The only scapegoat he has left at that point will be the Federal Reserve. And you know that's not going to be enough to, uh, to win the votes that he needs to, uh, to get a second term. You know, And by the way, too, another thing that the president tweeted out about China, or actually he didn't tweet it out. I think he said it in an interview. Uh, but the president was asked about whether he's worried about the Chinese, you know, selling our bonds and and uh, Trump said, oh, no, I don't care if they sell our bonds. I mean, they only own a trillion dollars worth of our bonds. He goes, that's nothing. Like, oh, that's Trump, Trump change, right? Who cares? It's just a trillion. No problem. They can sell their bonds. There are plenty of buyers out there. I mean, what is this guy, hallucinating? I mean, first of all, a trillion is a pretty big number. To say, you know, we only owe them a trillion, as if that's nothing, right? But it's not just a trillion. Because Trump is just talking about the treasuries that they own. The Chinese own a lot of US dollar denominated bonds, right? So we we you know Americans owe the Chinese a lot more than a trillion. But also China, that's a big buyer on the margin. You know, you take all that demand out of the market. And in fact, if the Chinese aren't buying and they start selling, they're dumping those bonds. They're competing with the treasury to sell US treasuries. So to, to be so cavalier about the fact that we don't need China. We don't need them to lend us all this money. Like there's such a long line of people waiting to loan money. The reason that the Chinese were willing to do it is because they were recycling. They're massive trade surpluses. They were vendor financing America so that we could keep buying their stuff. Now, I think that was a mistake. I think one of the reasons that you have problems in the Chinese economy is because they made that mistake. And I think for the Chinese, the sooner they stop making that mistake, the better. But I don't see how the rest of the world would have a vested interest in stockpiling US dollars. You know, in fact, the gold rally shows you that the dollars' days are numbered. Uh, people are preferring gold to the dollar. Central banks are already preferring gold to the dollar. So, uh, you know, for Trump to claim that he's not worried, we don't need China, that's, that, that shows a complete ignorance of the actual relationship that we have with China and, and how much we depend on China for um, loans and for consumer goods. But, you know, it's not Trump alone. I mean, this is something that pretty much everybody is ignorant about this. I hear all sorts of smart people saying the same kind of nonsense uh, that we don't need China, you know, that China's taking advantage of us by giving us all this stuff, by loaning us all this money. But in any event, so I don't think we're going to have any kind of end to the trade war in uh, in October. So the fact that the markets reacted the way they did is meaningless, right? Nothing's going to happen. The trade war is going to continue to wage on. And the U.S. economy is going to continue to weaken. And so the bull market in gold and silver should continue, especially with the numbers that we got for today on jobs. You know, we finally got the big jobs report, the non-farm payroll number for August. And there was some you know, optimism going into the number because yesterday we got the ADP number and the ADP number is a private sector uh, job number and it is measuring uh, private employment. So it's not looking at government jobs, but private sector jobs. And the forecast was for about 150,000 jobs, which would have been a slight reduction from the prior month, 156,000. They ended up revising the prior months down to 142,000, but the August number came in at 195,000 jobs, so 45,000 jobs better than expected. And even when you count the negative revisions, uh, still quite a bit better than expected. So I think the bar had been raised. People were expecting a better report from the government. And the consensus forecast was for 163,000 jobs created in the month of August, that would have been almost exactly the same as the 164,000 jobs that was created in July. Although, again, this is the government's guess. Why anybody is putting any stock in this, I don't know, because as I mentioned in one of my last podcasts, the government recently came out and said that for an entire year, they were off by a half a million jobs, meaning each and every monthly number was 40,000 Uh, off to the upside so every every time they reported a number the actual number was 40,000 less Uh, and so they were expecting 163,000 jobs we ended up with 130,000 and if you subtracted 40,000 which they may end up doing maybe the real number was like 90,000 but in any event the number that was reported was 130,000 jobs and they revised downward the prior month from 164 to 159. They also revised down the month before that uh, by, you know, a similar amount. Unemployment rate, the official rate remained steady at 3.7%. But where the numbers really start to get bad is when you look at the private payrolls, right? There they were expecting 150,000 private sector jobs created. Right? Now, the private sector jobs are far more important than the government jobs, right? Because the private sector jobs are self sustaining. The taxpayers are on the hook to pay the salaries of the government workers. And the private sector employees, by and large, are actually productive, right? They're making our lives better. A lot of the government workers are not productive and they're making our lives worse, right? They're making it harder for the private sector workers to be productive. So you don't want a lot of government jobs being created. In fact, we need to destroy more government jobs so that we can free up those people uh, to work productively in the private sector. So they were looking for 150,000 private sector jobs. We got just 96,000 jobs. That's it, 96,000. And they revised last month's uh, private payrolls down What was originally reported at one hundred and forty eight thousand is now just one hundred and thirty one thousand manufacturing very weak. Uh, They were looking for eight thousand jobs, you know, manufacturing jobs, part of that ninety six thousand private payrolls. Instead, we added just three thousand manufacturing jobs in August. And last month, July, they originally said that we created sixteen thousand manufacturing jobs. And we only created 4,000 manufacturing jobs. Now, if you actually, too, look at the breakdown of all the jobs that were created, 34,000 jobs were created in the category of government. And you know what? That is the number one. So of all the different job categories that we have, the one that added the most was government. 34,000 jobs. I think about 20,000 of these people were temporary hires associated with the 2020 census uh, but still 34,000 government jobs right this this again where's the money coming from to pay for these government jobs the it's being borrowed right the debt is being uh, grown we're borrowing more money to hire more government workers of course ultimately the taxpayers were on the hook uh, for paying all these salaries and for paying the interest on the money borrowed to pay all these salaries uh, but biggest job creation in government in fact I read that if you look at the private sector job creation so far uh, in the Trump presidency, this year, 2019, is on track to have the slowest growth in private sector job creation in eight years. <laughs> eight years. I mean, here, Trump is out there talking about how this is the greatest economy ever, right? He's the greatest jobs. Uh, President Abe ever. We've got the manufacturing sector, the weakest it's been in 10 years. We have the slowest growth in private sector payrolls in eight years, right? I mean, this is a disaster. Of course, you know, the Republicans, they, they don't want to question this narrative. They, they have to go with this. They have to pretend that uh, this economy is great. I mean, Wall Street, yeah, they want to pretend it's great because it's you know good for the market, right? A great economy could be good for uh, corporate earnings. But, of course, the media, as I said, I mean, it's going to be very easy for them to really shine the light of truth on this uh, phony economy. I mean, the Democrats are certainly going to do it. I mean, for Trump, I mean, to me, This is all just marketing, right? I mean, Trump figures, you know, I'm president, and now I have to sell myself to the voters, right? Just like he's a product, right? And he's a a marketing guy. I mean, that's what he's done, branding, imaging. I mean, you remember the Trump steaks? I don't know if anybody's ever had a Trump steak. I've never had one. But you know what the, um, the marketing campaign was for Trump steaks? It was world's greatest steaks, right? World's greatest steaks. I mean, what's the odds that Trump steaks were the greatest in the world. I mean, they probably weren't even close to the world's greatest ste- steaks, but you know, you're allowed to say stuff like that when you're advertising, right? I mean, they call it puffery. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's really not a lie because it's kind of like a matter of opinion because if you say, "Oh, these are the world's greatest steaks," right? I mean, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of opinion. You can't really buy a Trump steak and then eat it and then not think it's the world's greatest stake and then sue for your money back on the grounds that, hey, you said this was the world's greatest stake. Because in advertising, you're kind of allowed to do that. And you're supposed to be smart enough to realize that just because a company claims they've got the world's greatest stakes, it doesn't actually mean that the stakes are any good. Well, I think Trump is basically puffing up his own presidency as if he's selling Trump stakes. And he talks about this is the greatest economy ever. I'm the greatest jobs president ever, even though none of it is true. And, and no, nobody, you know, in a way seems to care. I mean, uh, am I might digressing a bit, but look at what happened with Sharpie Gate. I don't know if, if how many people have seen these news stories, but President Trump, you know, he was down at the FEMA office and he was talking about Hurricane Dorian and the threat that it was posing uh, to the southeast of the United States. And at the time, you know, Dorian's trajectory had already changed, and it was kind of skirting up the East Coast, going past uh, Florida, uh, Georgia, the Carolinas, and so Trump is talking about the hurricane and how big it is and how it's a threat to all these states. And he mentions Alabama. Now, why he mentions Alabama, I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, it just slipped in Alabama, and uh, and so then, of course. It turns out that the hurricane was never actually a threat to Alabama, and so a reporter or somebody must have said, "Hey, President Trump, why, you know, why did you say that it was a threat to Alabama? Because I actually, I think that uh, it, the, uh, the I don't know if it was the governor of Alabama or FEMA, somebody had to come out and reassure the Alabamans or Alabamians. I'm not really sure, but to reassure everybody who lived in Alabama." that there's nothing to worry about, that the hurricane's got no chance, it's not going to Alabama, so don't start boarding up your windows. Whatever the president said he misspoke, there's no threat to Alabama. But now Trump is asked about this misstatement, but instead of just admitting, oh, I was wrong, I must have, uh, I don't know why I said Alabama, I meant whatever, you know, he, he digs in his heels and they pretend that the hurricane was a threat to Alabama. He said, well, did you, yes, it was a threat. No, it wasn't. It was never really a threat to Alabama. But the funny thing is, he, they have this big board that they blow up in the White House, and it's they you know you go and you look at the National Hurricane Center, and they always put up this this cone of uncertainty, right? And it shows the hurricane and a projected path and a big cone of where the hurricane might be. And the the the, the photo that he shows is one that was from several days prior to the, the the talk where he said it was a threat to Alabama when people still thought the hurricane was going to go through florida and there was still a chance it might come out into the gulf right and so this is before it had turned and they knew it was going to miss a landing you know a landfall in florida and it was going to skirt up the coast and but there's a cone of uncertainty that goes into florida and he holds up this big poster board showing that but then there is a black mark like with a sharpie you know because the cone of uncertainty is in white And it extends into Florida. And then there's like a magic marker. And you can see that somebody drew a larger circle to just include parts of Alabama. And and, and holding it up as if, see, the hurricane was a threat to Alabama. But it actually wasn't because the cone never went into Alabama. Somebody just marked it up. I It almost looked like a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, you know, to actually look at it, because I think a reporter's like, well, wait, 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 what's, what's that line there? Or some, maybe even something out of Monty Python. Like, well, what are you talking about? I, I didn't draw that line. I mean, it's clear somebody doctored up. I mean, they didn't even try to make it look real by putting that little black line around around Alabama. But the point is that instead of even admitting that he even said something wrong in order to preserve his brand. Right of Donald Trump, he can never be wrong. He can never slip up. He can never make a mistake because he's the greatest president. Just like his stakes are the greatest stakes of the world, he's the greatest president of the world. He's the greatest president in the history of presidents. Right? That that is how he is branding himself. That is how he is selling himself uh, to the voters. The problem is it's not going to work. I mean, it worked the first time. But it's not going to work the second time because he's already been president for four years. He hasn't been able to deliver on any of his promises. No matter how much he wants to pretend that everything is great, the fact that everything is not great is what's going to make it uh, so much easier for his opponents. And again, the bigger problem is his opponents are going to claim falsely that Trump inherited a great economy from Obama. He did not. He inherited a bubble. Trump was right about that. But because he rebranded the bubble as some kind of Trump miracle economy, he can't argue that anymore. He said the economy was great. He took credit for making it great. And so now when it blows up, they're going to say, you know what? It was great when you inherited it, but you squandered that inheritance just like you squander everything you inherited and you put us into recession with your tax cuts and your deregulation, which is not why we're in recession. We're in recession because of the policies that predate President Trump, policies that he simply expanded, policies that he failed to correct because correcting the problems would have produced a recession even sooner. But Trump didn't want a recession on his watch because he wanted to sell himself as an economic miracle worker, right? Aha, all you had to do is elect me and I made everything great. I made America great again, cheerly, you know, by the force of my own will, just being the president. I unleashed this economic boom. He did not want to level with the public and actually tell them what was really required to make America great again. He just sold them a bill of goods. He got them to buy snake oil you know, rather than, you know, the real thing, because the real thing, uh, the medicine to make the economy really good wasn't going to taste good. And so the voters didn't want to swallow it. And so Trump didn't want to ask them to swallow it. But anyway, getting back to these jobs that I was talking about. So the the number one category was government. And then, of course, you get health care and education, which are number two right? Temporary services. By the time you get down to construction, it's not that many jobs, manufacturing, wholesale trade. And in fact, the big job loser again is retail. And this has been going on. I mean, this is the seventh consecutive month that retail jobs have been lost. Now, these are not the greatest jobs, right? These are lower paying jobs as well. But this is showing you, it's not just the Amazonation, of the nation it's not like you know all the retail jobs are going away uh, because amazon is doing everything with robots i mean amazon is part of it but the rest of it is that americans are broke they simply don't have as much money to spend and one of the reasons they're spending more on the internet is because they're buying stuff where they can get it the cheapest even though it may be more convenient to actually go into a store and try stuff on and touch it and feel it before you buy it Uh, People are just, you know, buying it on the Internet because they get a lower price because that's really what everybody is trying to do. They're trying to make their dwindling paychecks, right? When you want to account for the inflation that everybody claims is non-existent, right? They want to make these paychecks go as far as possible. Now, as soon as these reports came out, these job numbers came out, Larry Kudlow was making the rounds. Larry Kudlow was on CNBC. He was on Bloomberg and Fox Business all within the same hour. Basically making the speech, the same speech on every financial network. I mean, he's there to talk up the markets, right? And he's talking about how this jobs report was a blockbuster report. I mean, it's anything but blockbuster, right? And we have lousy private sector job creation. As I said, this year, 2019 is on pace to be the weakest year for job creation, private sector jobs in eight years, And again, I mentioned this before on the program again, and this is part of the Trump stakes presidency, that this economy is all about government. Right. The private sector is collapsing. Right. American industry is weak. Right. Private sector job creation is anemic. Right. Investment spending is falling. Exports are falling. The whole economy is based on big government. It's more government spending. It's more government hiring, and consumers are spending more borrowed money. It's a giant debt bubble, making government bigger and consumer debt bigger. All while you're pretending to be a great jobs president, great for business, great for industry. All that a lot is a lie, right? Just like you know, maybe Trump steaks taste horrible but you're still going to say they're the greatest stakes in the world. So basically, Larry Kudlow is out there selling you know, Trump stakes, talking about how this is the greatest economy. This is a boom. And so the way he is handling this lousy report is he is paying attention to the household survey, which did show uh, about 500,000 or so jobs being added. And there was a big increase in labor force participation. In fact, the the actual labor force participation rate Uh, went from 62.9 to 63.2. Now, that despite the fact that there was not an increase in the unemployment rate, because according to the household survey, a lot of all these people who entered the labor force got jobs, but somehow that's not reflected in these numbers. Now, I know, you know, sometimes those, Household numbers are very good. Sometimes they're very bad. Generally, if they're bad, you know, Cudlow would ignore them completely. But because those were the better numbers, uh, then he is ignoring this establishment survey and just looking at the household survey. But the bottom line, though, is this is a weak report. And instead of admitting that, Larry Cudlow just has to talk about how how great the economy is because that's his job. Right. I mean, why people would think that he's giving some kind of honest assessment. I mean, he was very political even before he was working for the White House. I mean, he was puffing up uh, the Bush economy. You know, he wasn't a member of that administration, yet he you know, he kept making economic lemonade out of all the lemons uh, that were coming out. In, in the Bush years, and He's doing the same thing now. Only now he's on the payroll. But of course, all these uh, financial channels—I mean, they they, they want to get Cudlow on because he's a big name. He's—he's he's working at the White House, so they want to give him a big microphone to come out and talk about how great everything is. Now, I don't know, you know, the 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 increase in the labor force participation. Not really sure what that's coming from. I mean, maybe it's older people coming out of retirement, getting part-time jobs, uh, trying to make ends meet. I'm not really sure what it is but i don't really see any signs of economic strength in these numbers Uh, it's a all-out you know overall weak report and validating the idea that the economy is headed for recession right this should have been a much bigger number. In fact, when this number did come out, we did see a rally uh, in the gold market and the silver market. Silver went from negative 50 cents to positive. Gold went from down about 10, 11 bucks to positive, maybe five or $6. The dollar did sell off against other currencies and the bond market rose a bit. Uh, yields fell. So the initial reaction was, uh, you know, what you would expect. But then there was a reversal when, um Jerome Powell, speaking in Zurich, came out and said, we don't think there's going to be a recession. Who cares what the Fed says? Because we know they're never going to tell the truth. Even if they can see a recession, they're not going to admit it. But for some reason, Powell's words uh, basically trumped the actual data that came out. And the markets traded off what Powell was saying rather than what – the economy was actually doing. But again, I think this is just trading. I think it's all going to come out in the wash. And I would expect the upward trends to continue in metals next week. The question is, will the dollars decline, continue? Because the dollar did sell off a bit this week from its highs. In fact, the dollar index got as high as 99.37 this week before closing at 98.39. So it did close down on the week after making a new high on the week. Uh, So we'll see if this is the beginning of a bigger reversal in the dollar's fortunes. I mean, this is long overdue. The dollar really should have started to fall a long time ago. Now, it has been falling, right? If you measure the dollar in terms of gold, as I've been saying, the dollar has been losing a lot of value in terms of gold. It's just that it hasn't been losing value in terms of other fiat currencies. And so what's happened is that the weakness in other fiat currencies has been masking the weakness in the dollar that gold has been evidencing. So if you simply look at the other fiat currencies, you you would think the dollar was strong. But the minute you look at gold, you find out that all currencies are weak. It's just that the dollar was less weak than a lot of other currencies, although it was more weak than currencies like the Japanese yen. But I do believe that fundamentally, the dollar should be a lot weaker than a lot of these currencies. We should be winning the race to the bottom, not losing it. Now, speaking about the dollar and gold, Alan Greenspan was also on uh, CNBC this week, and I listened to his interview and a couple of interesting things that, that Greenspan said one of them that I thought was kind of funny is the host and I forget who it was that was interviewing Alan Greenspan but whoever it was you know asked him a very good question and the question was look the fed completely missed the 2008 financial crisis they had no idea it was coming and then it happened and so you know why should we you know put any stock in what the fed says now because they were completely incompetent then right? There was a massive crisis coming and they they had no idea. And so why would we think that they're any better at forecasting now, given how lousy a job they did back then? And so Greenspan's answer, he didn't really address the point. He just kind of, you know, walked around it, but he answered it by saying that in his experience, in all of his years, and he pointed out that he's been around for a long time, and clearly he has. But he said, in all my years of life, it's my experience that the people that work at the Federal Reserve are the best predictors of the stock market in the world, that they call the moves in the stock market better than anybody. Now, first of all, the question wasn't about why didn't the Fed predict the stock market going down in 2008. It was, you know, why didn't the Fed predict The financial crisis, why didn't they predict the banking crisis, the real estate crisis, the Great Recession? A lot of things happened that the Fed didn't predict. The stock market going down was just one of them. But Greenspan decided to just skirt all the rest of it and focus on the stock market, but then claim that the people that work at the Fed are the best predictors of the stock market in the world, which is complete nonsense. I mean, obviously, that's not true. I mean, look, if the guys at the Fed were the best forecasters of stock market movements, they wouldn't be at the Fed. They'd be billionaires running their own very successful hedge funds. The fact that these guys are working for a paycheck for government, they're working there because they have no idea what the stock market's going to do. If they did, they wouldn't be working at the Fed. But, you know, it shows you how important Greenspan believes the stock market is, he realizes that this is all a bubble and it's all about the stock market. And and so the Fed needs to worry about the stock market more than anything else. Because if the stock market's going down, right, then it's not doing its job properly. Is this its job is to keep the stock market going up because it needs to keep the phony wealth around because the whole recovery is built on the wealth effect. It's built on the phony nature of this bubble if we believe that we're richer because on paper, our stocks and our real estate is worth more. But of course, it's not just about what we believe because if our stocks and real estate have more value on paper, then we can borrow more money against them. We can lever up even more. We can take on even more debt based on this phony collateral and then go out and spend the money and then keep this phony GDP going. But of course, the more money we borrow based on inflated collateral, That's how you have a financial crisis because now that collateral loses value and now you can see that the loans are no good and then the defaults happen and everything implodes and so the job of the Fed is to try to keep this house of cards going as long as possible. But another way that you know that Alan Greenspan knows the end game is not good is then he was asked about gold. In fact, he wasn't even asked about gold. He brought up gold in this interview and he said The reason that you're seeing gold going up, right, in this same interview, he says the reason that gold is going up is because people want to buy something real. They want to have a hard asset that they know will be worth something in 20 years or in 30 years. Now, why is he saying that? Well, because the government is selling 30-year treasury bonds, and Greenspan knows that they're going to be worthless, in 30 years. That's why he's buying gold, and he's saying other people are buying gold for the same reason, because they want to buy something that they know will have value, right? Because Greenspan knows gold will have value in 20 or 30 years, but he also knows that the dollar might not have much value in 20 or 30 years, which means U.S. Treasuries won't have much value in 20 or 30 years. He knows that. That's why he said it, and people should listen to Greenspan, right? When he talks about people buying gold and why people are buying gold, right? He didn't say people are buying gold because they're worried about the uncertainty surrounding the trade war. No, they're buying gold because they know that it's going to have value in 20 to 30 years. And they don't know if the dollar will or U S treasuries will because they're simply IOU dollars. And of course, I know a lot of you are thinking, Oh, well, Bitcoin, right? People should be buying Bitcoin. Nope. Bitcoin is just as risky, if not more so than the U.S. dollar. Now, I thought it was interesting, too, when it comes to Bitcoin, that when all the safe havens were selling off yesterday, Bitcoin didn't go down, right? Gold went down, bonds went down, you know, the yen went down, the Swiss franc went down, Bitcoin didn't go down at all, right? So, again, it wasn't like trading with the safe havens. It actually went up. It was kind of trading like with the risk assets. Now, today, the price has fallen pretty sharply. I mean, Earlier this morning, Bitcoin was almost as high as 10,900, I think. And now, as I'm recording this, it's back down to 10,300. And I think it was as low as 10,200 and change. Uh, You know, I don't know when I started the podcast, but now it's back up to 10,300 and something. But also, you know, the Bitcoin dominance continues to rise. We're now at 71% of market cap. So, as weak as Bitcoin has been, the altcoins have been even weaker. And, you know, there was an interesting interview that Mark Mobius did this week on uh, CNBC with Joe Kernan. And Joe is, you know, one of the you know, Bitcoin uh, cheerleaders now on CNBC who's totally drunk to Bitcoin Kool-Aid. But he's asking Mark Mobius because Mark Mobius, again, is talking about gold and why people should be buying gold. And he's right. But then Joe Kernan says, well, what about Bitcoin? Right. Oh, because he thinks, well, people should be buying Bitcoin. Right. They shouldn't be buying gold because it's digital gold. And so Joe Kernan asked Mark Mobius, you know, well, won't Bitcoin work? And then really, instead of answering the question directly by saying, no, it won't. What Mark Mobius said is well, if there's a cryptocurrency backed by gold, then it'll work, which is true, right? So if you said if somebody comes up with a credible cryptocurrency that's backed by gold, then that would be an alternative to the dollar or other fiat currencies, and he's 100 percent right. But then uh, Joe Kernan said something, and go you know his observation here is correct. You know I mean, Joe was correct about what, what he said. He said, "Well, wait a minute. the dollar's not backed by gold. The euro is not backed by gold. So, you know, why do you require a, a, a cryptocurrency to be backed by gold, right? If you require gold backing to think something is going to work, then why should you have confidence in the dollar or the euro? Because they're not backed by gold. And he's 100% right. They're not backed by gold, which is why they're not going to work. All of these fiat currencies were backed by gold at one point. The fact that they're not by, backed by gold now, that is the problem. But you see, the mistake that Joe Kernan is making is the same mistake that all the crypto guys are making. And they've conned, uh, you know, Kernan into believing it. They say that because the dollar is not backed by gold and it works and because the euro is not backed by gold and it works and other currencies. Well, then Bitcoin doesn't have to be backed by gold and and it could work. See, here's the difference. Those currencies were all backed by gold at one point. Confidence and trust was built up in those currencies when they were backed by gold. And because they were backed by gold, they worked for a long time. And then the government gradually removed that gold backing. And as a matter of tradition and custom, these paper currencies still circulated, even though the gold backing them up was no longer there. But we have a problem because money is being created. Money supply is growing too rapidly worldwide. Piat currencies are losing value. We have all these imbalances. We are headed to a collapse and a currency crisis that will ultimately bring us back to the gold standard. But had these currencies not been backed by gold in the first place, they never would have been accepted by the public. The public wouldn't have been dumb enough to accept a piece of paper. They accepted the piece of paper because it was backed by gold. The problem is, eventually, the gold backing was removed, and a lot of the people... Who were using the paper, maybe they weren't even around when we when, when we were using gold. I mean, it was several generations removed. I mean, when gold was originally circulating as money, nobody would have been dumb enough to accept paper. But when they knew the paper was backed by gold, they accepted it. But after generations after generations, Pretty soon, people don't know anything about history. They don't know that people used to use gold, and now they're using paper. And then when they take the gold backing away from paper, they don't really understand what that means, right? Because it, it took time to evolve, right? Uh, but once we went over to this type of system, we, we are seeing all of these problems. But what Bitcoin is trying to do is trying to present itself uh, to the public, having never been backed by gold, and saying, accept this. Accept this digital thing that you can't see and you can't touch that has no tangible properties. That's not backed by anything and just accept it just because, you know, you accept the dollar and you accept the euro. So just accept this. And that's not going to work. I mean, it can work for a small number of people, certainly as long as the price is going up and everybody thinks they're going to get rich. It could work. But eventually you run out of people who are going to buy into this. So because. These, the fiat currencies that we have today used to be backed by gold, and now they're not. Confidence is eroding in those currencies, and eventually it will be lost. But the problem is, since Bitcoin was never backed by gold, whatever confidence people had in Bitcoin will be lost that much quicker.